want to take some time this month and uh, look to God's Word and, and what it can teach us about uh, really being uh, rich and how to be good at being rich. Uh, the rather uh, infamous uh, Wallace Simpson said, you can never be too rich or too thin. You can never be too rich or too thin, and, and that might be an American mantra, right? We, we tend to kind of obsess over our weight and our wealth, right? I, I remember hearing Dave Ramsey say on a number of occasions, he of Financial Peace University, uh, Dave Ramsey said, well, one thing he knows for sure, that him and Jenny Craig will never be out of business, uh, because we're always concerned, right? We're always concerned about, uh, about our weight and our wealth. Well, we're not going to talk a lot about weight in this uh, series of messages, but we do want to talk about, uh, about our stuff uh, and about being rich and really being good at being rich. And I don't know about your childhood along the way. I don't know if you ever thought uh, as a child about being rich or even what that meant to you along the way. I can remember maybe one of the first times it ever really dawned on me, I had a friend who, who had some horses. And occasionally, we would get to go and ride horses with my friend. And I just kind of thought, one day it just dawned on me, if I ever got to the point where you could own a horse, <laughs> wouldn't that like be the height of, of greatness? And how wonderful would that be? Now, I don't want a horse, by the way. I really don't. But, uh, but we, you know, we get those things. And maybe, maybe it was like uh, somebody who had a house that was bigger than yours or got to take a trip or do things or whatever. And we begin to kind of think about what if, what might it be? The problem with talking about being rich is that rich is a moving target, isn't it? Rich is a kind of a constantly moving target along the way. The Gallup organization did a poll and they, they, they were asking people, how, what do you define as rich? Kind of what would be rich? And what they found out, interestingly enough, was this kind of sliding scale in terms of what people termed rich. Basically, in their findings in that particular poll, rich was about double whatever you make. So if you were at 30,000, yeah, 60,000 was rich, 50,000, 100,000 was rich, 100,000, 200,000 was rich, and so on along the way, that, that wherever you were at, kind of on that spectrum, we tended to think rich was kind of twice as much as. Money Magazine a few years ago did a, a survey of its readership, and Money Magazine's readership would tend to be in a little bit of the, the upper of the socioeconomic class as a whole. And they were asked their readers, you know, what, what would it take for you to, in a sense, feel rich? What, what kind of what would you have to have? And as they compiled the results in that particular survey, it came out from the Money Magazine readers about $5 million. If you had $5 million of, of assets, that, that then you would kind of be uh, rich, according to the readers of Money Magazine. Rich is a moving target. I have a very simple definition of rich. It's more than I have, right? <laughs> Isn't that what rich is, right? Rich is always more than I have because we all tend to not think of ourselves as rich along the way. But I have an objective for uh, this series. 
And this objective of this series is very simple. Whether you consider yourself right now rich or maybe would like to be someday, the objective is we want to learn how to be good at being rich. We want to learn how to be good at being rich. And, and we want to draw on a lot of resources. Kind of the initial idea of this came from a book by Andy Stanley on how to be rich and uh, drawing on some resources from him and others, from Randy Alcorn and his writing, a couple of Harvard MBAs, John Cortine and Gregory uh, Balmer, uh, as well as others along the way. But most of all, I want us to look to Scripture because what folks are usually surprised to find out for the first time is how much Jesus talked about money, how much the, the Scripture talks about money. And I think in part because he knew how big a part of our life it was going to be. And one of those examples is tucked away in a letter that Paul wrote to Timothy. And he was giving Timothy instructions on how to kind of guide and shepherd God's people. And toward the end of that chapter, that letter, in the, what we call the sixth chapter of 1 Timothy, he gives him some specific instructions on what to say to people who are rich, how to be good at being rich. Verse 17, as for the rich in this present age, Charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Now, we're going to kind of keep coming back to this passage throughout this series because this is kind of our, our foundational verses. But to, to set the stage for the series out of this verse, I, I want to remind you of good news and bad news. Good news and bad news when it comes to this whole idea of being good at being rich. And here's the good news. Are you ready for this? Here's the good news. You are rich. You are rich. And some of you are saying, uh-uh, because I don't feel rich. Now, I didn't say you feel rich. I said that you and I are rich. Now, even in saying that, please hear my heart. I, I understand I've shared in other settings some of our journey, and we've been through interesting seasons financially through the years. I understand that for some of you, perhaps even right now, one of the reasons you don't feel rich is you're buried under a ton of medical bills. And every year just keeps piling them on. For some of you, you are walking through or have walked through a season of job loss. And it took a tremendous hit. I want to be sensitive to the, the, the fact that there are single parents here. And that is a tremendous load uh, to have to carry. Yes, I know the price of housing around here. But I would perhaps remind you, we have some relatives that live in New Jersey just across from New York City 
they say housing is very affordable here in this neck of the woods, right? So there is some perspective there. But with that, let me invite you to step back with me and maybe reorient our perspectives a little bit. Let us not just compare ourselves to the social media feed or our Facebook friends or what we see on TV or whatever it might be, but let's even step back further than just our nation and think about the world. According to the Global Rich List, if you and I have an annual income of $33,000 or above, we're in the top 1% of wage earners in the world. If you would get to $80,000 a year, you would be somewhere in the top one-tenth of 1% of wage earners in the world, according to the Global Rich List. Now, I want to stretch this a little bit further because I know we're not feeling it yet. So let let me ask you to just imagine with me for a moment. Imagine that we were able to kind of go and pluck out one of the billions of people that uh, maybe aren't even sure uh, how many meals or if they'll have a meal the next day, and we were just to kind of pluck them up and bring them and kind of set them in our neighborhoods and let them kind of just watch for a while and then take them back and let them report back to their family and friends. And what would they say about those rich people? Well, maybe they would say something like this. They might say, let me tell you about rich people. (laughs) Rich people have cars. (laughs) And, 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 And not only do they have cars, but a lot of those rich people have his and her cars, right? They, 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 like, they drive them and they go all of these places. And, and do you know what else? Some of those rich people, they have houses that they drive their cars into, all right? So that their cars don't sit out in the weather. Except, 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 except some rich people They have so much stuff, they can't keep all the stuff in their house, so they move some of their stuff out to where their car is supposed to stay, and their car still has to sit outside, right? That's what some of those rich people do. I know, it's hard to believe. And and you you walk in their homes, and they have these, these rooms. You open these doors, and they have these rooms called closets, and, and the closets are full of clothes and shoes. And a lot of them are two stories. They have like two stories of clothes, right? And, and this, is what, this is what those crazy rich people do. They walk on some of those rooms. You can like walk in and turn around. And some of those, some of those rich people, they walk in that room and they look at two stories of clothes and all the shoes and they sigh to themselves and say, I have, you know, nothing to wear, right? <laughs> and you believe those rich people. That's crazy. It's crazy, right? And, and then 
Those rich people, you keep walking in their house and they have another door and you open and there's like food in there. Like lots and lots of food. Sometimes so much that they even forget what they had back in the back. And then they have this other little machine that is full of food. And it keeps some food cold. And then some of the rich people, they even have an extra machine out where they keep their car. (laughs) So they can put more food out there to keep it cold. It's crazy, right? And with all of that food in their house, do you know what some of those silly rich people do? (laughs) They get in their cars (laughs) and they drive away from all of that food. And they drive. And there are these buildings they call restaurants. And they drive past one, two, three. They drive past 10, 12, 15 places to get food so that they could go to another place because they just kind of want that kind of food on this particular day. Isn't that crazy? And, and the rich people, they, they have clean water. And it comes right into their house. They don't have to walk anywhere to get it. They don't have to lift it and carry it. And, and I know this is going to sound crazy, but they can turn like, One thing in cold water and another thing in hot water comes out. Have you ever heard of that? And then, as crazy as that is, then they take some of this clean water. They have so much clean water that they just spray it on the ground around their house. I don't know. They just spray it around, right? Now, I could go on all day, right? (laughs) And you get the point. But don't miss the point. The point is not for you and I to feel guilty, but to be grateful. It's not for us to feel guilty, but to be grateful for the God who has given us, provided us with everything to enjoy. So if we're going to be good at being rich, One of the first steps is just acknowledging that we are rich. Just kind of owning that fact and getting comfortable with that fact. And sometimes, even if we admit it to ourselves, we we don't want to tell other people. I I read about a a father that his children came to him and they said, Daddy, are we rich? And he said, gosh, you know, I I really don't want to lie to them. And, you know, yeah, I mean, we're we're pretty well off. I mean, we're not the richest people in the world, but yeah, we're rich. And they said, okay, thanks. And they just toddled off. And as he thought about it in a moment, he said, oh, wait, 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 we're rich, but don't tell anybody, <laughs> right? Don't tell anybody that we're rich. Because sometimes even if we acknowledge it ourselves, we don't want to acknowledge it to somebody else. So the good news is I'm rich. And the first step to being good at being rich is to acknowledge that we're rich. So ready for some group therapy? 
Right. You didn't know you signed up for that, right? Group therapy this morning, okay? Turn, turn, just turn to somebody. If you know them, if you don't have anybody around you, you know, just blurt it out to them anyway. And just say, I'm rich. And smile. Oh, some of you, that was painful, wasn't it? <laughs> was like, oh, right? I don't feel rich. But I am rich. And I don't carry around guilt for that. But I sure want to walk with gratitude for that. Good news. You're rich. This command is for you and for me. All right? Now the bad news. The bad news is, according to Paul through Timothy that there are some unique spiritual challenges that go with being rich. There are some unique spiritual challenges that go with being rich. And it's not just Paul's opinion. Jesus confronted this again and again and again. In fact, as he put it pretty succinctly in Luke's gospel after the encounter with the rich young ruler who turned away because he had so much stuff, it kind of was a barrier to him following Jesus. And Jesus just summed it up this way, how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Now that's sobering. That's sobering once you acknowledge I'm rich. Across the landscape of the world presently, certainly across the landscape of human history, we're rich. And with that goes some unique spiritual challenges. Because what we find in the New Testament, what we find uh, through Jesus, what we find in the letters of Paul and others, is that money does things to people. Money does things to people. And we could list a long, long list, but let me just kind of start us off as we kind of lay the foundation for this series with three generalized thoughts. Money can make it harder for us to depend upon God. It's one of the unique challenges. Because if you've got insurance, you write a check, you whip out the credit card, you pay cash, you can begin to feel like, I got this. I got it covered. I'm square. I'm sufficient. And sometimes an abundance of resources can dampen our sense of dependence upon God. Because we got this, right? Secondly, it can distract us from true priorities. It can distract us from true priorities because what you own can very sneakily begin to own you. It requires you to find a place to store it, to, to repair it, to clean it, to insure it, to replace it, to upgrade it, to all of these things, right? 
And it can distract us. Jesus told the parable about the sower and the seeds. He talked about the different soils. And one of the soils, this good seed landed. And at first, this kind of this, this plant begins to pop up. But then its life gets choked out by stuff, by worry about stuff and all that. And the concerns of this life kind of choke out the life of the seed. Sometimes riches, wealth, resources can work against us because it can distract us from true priorities. And thirdly, it does carry with it a greater responsibility. That even as we are, are grateful for the blessings of God, we, we are conscious of the fact that there's a unique kind of challenge that goes with that. That the unique challenge is to whom much is given, much is required. To whom much has been entrusted, that much more is expected uh, and required of us along the way. If I can steal a a line from the first uh, Spider-Man movie, right? Uh, When you you have much power, with great power grows great responsibility, right? With great resources go great responsibility. But in the context of these verses we just read from Paul to Timothy, he highlights two distinct challenges that I I want us to at least introduce this morning. Two distinct challenges. The first is an arrogance. An arrogance. So he says, as for those who are rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty. Not to be haughty. There there is a a real easy kind of bleed that can happen that we can very quickly confuse our net worth with our self-worth, right? And the more that my net worth increases, though, the more I can begin to think I deserve, I I am better than. And we, we sometimes even subconsciously do this, that somehow we'll give more weight to the opinion of somebody that has resources than somebody that doesn't have as many resources because somehow in our mind we begin to think they must be better, quicker, smarter. In fact, it's one of the greatest compliments that somebody can pay to somebody that has a lot of resources goes something like this. Maybe you've heard it. Maybe you've said it. It goes something like this. You know, they are really, really rich, but you could never tell it. You could never tell it. What do we mean? They don't seem to be arrogant. They don't seem to be haughty. They don't seem to put on airs along the way. I have to be aware that with resources, sometimes comes this unique pull, this unique challenge to arrogance, to haughtiness. And there's a rule of thumb that maybe helps us to combat that. Every blessing that we don't turn into praise has the potential to turn back into pride. Every blessing, whether that's a material blessing, an opportunity blessing, a relational blessing, a spiritual blessing, every blessing that we don't turn into praise, that we don't give thanks for and redirect toward God, every blessing that we don't turn into praise has the potential in my life and in yours to turn into pride. That's why gratitude and thankfulness and praise are such a vital spiritual practice and life practice if we're going to be good 
at being rich. Arrogance is one of the unique spiritual challenges. But Paul mentions a second one, and we can sum it up in the words misplaced hope. Misplaced hope. He says, not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Proverbs 18.11 puts it this way, a rich man's wealth is his strong city. And like a high wall, that last phrase, in his imagination. In his imagination. When we have wealth and we're rich, we can begin to imagine that my security, my protection is in my resources. Jesus told a, a parable. We'd known the parable of the rich fool. And it was a man who kind of lived out this proverb. He was prosperous financially, so much so that, that his barns began to overflow with resources. And his solution to that, which seems to make perfect sense to us, is you build bigger barns to be able to house all of this stuff. And he builds the bigger barns and he fills them up and he steps back. And with that sense of, of imagined security, that high wall of protection that's around him, he, he rejoices in all that he has and he's free to eat, drink, and be merry. And he is secure. And then Jesus brings the hook into the story. He said, you fool, this very night, your soul will be required of you. And who will have everything that you've stored up? As secure as he thought he was, he was not secure. Now, obviously, the Bible teaches principles of, of prudence and savings and uh, being prepared for emergencies and all those things, and we'll touch on those later in the series. But it, it's, it's not about having hope and riches. You can have both. But it's another thing altogether to have hope in riches. And that's what Paul is warning about, a misplaced hope, that we hope I have enough resources now that I am secure. Or the reverse of that is I never feel secure because I never feel like I have enough, and so I have to keep accumulating and keep accumulating and keep accumulating because in my imagination, my security, my hope is connected into what I have. And he teaches exactly the opposite. So here's a key question and a key thought that I, I want to just encourage you to kind of live with, work into your life, certainly throughout this series, and I hope even in the days further out than that. The key question is simply this. How are my finances shaping my heart? How are my finances shaping my heart? Because money does things to people. And a good checkpoint is for you and I to continually ask ourselves in the presence of God, how are my finances shaping my heart? 
because they're not neutral in the world in which we live. How are they shaping my heart? Is it toward arrogance? Is it toward a misplaced hope? Is it toward generosity? How are my finances shaping my heart? Because they will. And here's the key thought. And I want us to kind of take his platform for this series. I will not trust in riches, but in him who richly provides. That's what, that's what Paul said. Timothy, instruct them. Instruct them. Don't be haughty. Don't set your hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. So here's the principle. I will not, whether I feel rich today or not, whether I have what Money Magazine says is enough or not, I will not trust in riches, but in him who richly provides. And then Paul introduces to Timothy kind of a a formula, if you will, for keeping our heart from drifting toward arrogance and our hope from drifting away from God and toward our riches. And we're just going to touch on these and we'll dive deeper in the weeks ahead. Kind of a threefold uh, proclamation there. He said, do good. Do good Be rich in good works and be generous and ready to share. So we are commanded not to place our hope in riches, but to put our hope in God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Out of that trust, they are to do good, to be rich in good works, and to be generous and ready to share. And when we do that, we are storing up treasure for ourselves as a good foundation for the future so that we may take hold of that which is truly life. So that we can begin to be good at being rich. So that we can learn more and more how to take that which has been entrusted to it and and use it in such a way that it shapes our heart for that which truly matters. That which is going to matter particularly for all eternity. So here's what I want you to hear this morning because I know some of you, you begrudgingly said I'm rich. But ever since that time, you have been arguing back in your head, no, I'm not. (laughs) No, I'm not. See, it's not primarily about what you have compared to somebody else. It is what you do with what you have that will either count for you or against you in the kingdom of heaven. Do good. Be rich in good works. Be generous and ready to share thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that we may take hold of that which is truly life. And it's not primarily about what you have, but what do you do with what you have? What do you do with it that will either count for you or against you in the kingdom of God? So let's do a quick review and then I want you to listen to someone's testimony and story. Here's the review. And the fact is, I'll just encourage you to just kind of even keep these close by and review them uh, as we walk through uh, this, this teaching over the next few weeks. Ready? God has blessed me with more than I need. 
I am rich. For some of us, it would help us tremendously just to repeat that on a daily basis. God has blessed me with more than I need. I am rich. And because I am rich, the bad news is, there are some unique spiritual challenges that go with being rich. Money does things to people. And because of that, I need to continually ask myself a key question. How are my finances shaping my heart? How are my finances shaping my heart? I have more than I need. I am blessed. I have more than I need. I am rich. Because I am rich, there are some unique spiritual challenges that I need to be aware of. And so I want to regularly ask myself, how are my finances shaping my heart? And I need to keep bringing myself back to the point of my trust. I will not trust in riches, but in him who richly provides. I will not trust in riches, but in him who richly provides. And then he goes on to teach us that I can keep my heart and hope from drifting by doing good, being rich in good works, and being generous and ready to share. And in the end, this isn't just for somebody else. But it's for all of us because it's not primarily about what I have. It's what I do with what I have that will count either for me or against me in the kingdom of God. Now, sometimes principles sound good and maybe a key phrase or question will stick with us. But sometimes it's just helpful to hear how somebody else is living that out. And so I want to invite you for the next few moments to hear one woman's story. As she came to the recognition uh, that I'm rich. And what do I need to do with that? How do I handle that in a way that shapes my heart toward the things of God? Listen to her story. (laughs) I used to have this idea that I would be free um, when I was, well, I don't know, I think, th- I, think in, I think there was a time when I thought freedom and control had a lot to do with each other. Somewhere probably around high school I made a decision that I wanted to go into medicine. I knew I wanted to be a physician. It was a, it was a while before I settled on the specialty of obstetrics and gynecology. I drive to work each day really feeling blessed that I have the career I have, that God has given me a job that's a ministry. I feel like I've got the best job in the world. Morning. All of pregnancy is a lesson in patience and a lesson in flexibility. It, It just teaches me as I watch women experience that, how important it is to live in the moment. I get to walk with women and families through really, really joyful times and through some really challenging times. You know, I get to experience life from the beginning to the moment the baby takes its first breath. I think the problem for, for a long while was that my vision of what was freedom was not in line with what God says is freedom. I, I mean, I had a real turning point at 37. It's about three years ago. I've been in Austin for seven years. Been in practice as an OB-GYN for seven years. I had accomplished everything I set out to accomplish. I had a successful career. I was out of debt. And I just hit a point where I realized that I had all this. And I was not 
in the content place I imagined that I'd be. It was a really uncomfortable place to be in to realize that you'd accomplished your goals and now what? You know, now what's next? And then to feel a sense of like a, just a hole, like an emptiness inside as if something was missing and yet not know what that is. As God realigned my values with his values and showed me places where I thought I was free but I wasn't yet free, that, that changed everything. Because suddenly there were some areas where I had to take some steps of surrender, imagining that those were gonna lead to more restriction and less freedom, only to find the opposite was true. That was in money, that was in relationship. But I didn't really understand yet what true freedom was gonna look like. So often when I get home from work, I can't wait to get my shoes on and get out on the trail. When I'm running, I hear really radical things from God, and that's where I go to meet Him. I feel like that's the time when He puts thoughts in my head that are really beyond myself, but that's when I get ideas. I think when, when I made a decision that it was time to just go all out and live for Christ, that it was time to really discover what it meant to be an offering to Christ, to live my life fully surrendered. It started to get crazy, the things that I would hear. The biggest and most radical thing I've ever heard was your relationship and your faith are not compatible and it's time to do something about that. I mean, that was my big breakthrough was 07. You know, God moved me out of a relationship, convinced me and convicted me that that was not honoring to Him and it was time to, to lay that down. The second most frightening thing I've ever heard God say um, had to do with my finances. You can't go and look at another culture and not do this compare and contrast of like, this is what they have, this is how they live, this is what I have, and this is how I live. There are times when I would just sit in that and it would just break me. And I just realized that it's only by God's grace that I have anything more than they have. It's not because I'm entitled to it or I deserve it. And even if I say, well, yeah, but I earned it or I worked for it, then I would hear in the other ear, but I gave you the ability. I gave you the opportunity. I gave you the talent. I gave you the funding. I gave you the resource. I gave you the education. It's like, what do you have that I haven't given you? I was on a run and I just in a conversation with him just thinking about how might I change in response to what I had just seen, what I had just experienced. I'm just running and I hear God say, I want you to work like a doctor and I want you to live like a nurse. So I started thinking, well sure, I could live on half my salary. And then I started thinking, well, I could live on a quarter of my salary. And I just kind of froze in that and started thinking, well, about a quarter of my salary is probably about what the average nurse is making. I basically just took my salary and I just sectioned it off. And I said, well, this is, a, this is a, what a nurse would make. And then the remaining three quarters is his. And I felt like I said, that's right. That's what you share. I'm not gonna lie, it took some time getting used to living on a budget again. I hadn't really had to stop and think about how I was spending my money for a while. I don't feel like God is only asking me to spend and live 
within my means, but I think he's also talking to me about how I save. I mean, I've been saving for retirement pretty generously and investing a lot of money. My goals were to retire at 50 and to retire with a certain amount of money, to live at a certain lifestyle. You know, I lost six figures in an investment, and, and at that point, I felt like, you know, I, had a, I was telling you that's when I had a lot of peace. And I had a lot of peace because I felt like God was saying, why are you saving so much money? I felt like God wanted me to, to save to a lesser degree as well, and to be much more generous with my money by sharing it now. When I have a choice about whether to save or whether to share, and I get to bless somebody, often behind the scenes, and, um, and see the way that it's impacted their life, and the reality is, it feels right. It's very satisfying. satisfying life and I feel like that hole that I had three or four years ago that I wondered what is it and how do I get it filled has been filled to overflowing and I feel like it fills me up and then it pours out to others around me in a way that I, I hope I bring a lot of joy to people's lives and that joy I wouldn't have to give if he hadn't first given it to me. So God has blessed me with more than I need, and I am rich. Because of that, I'm going to face some unique spiritual challenges. And so I have to keep asking myself, how are my finances shaping my heart? And every day, as I listen to him, as I respond in obedience to him, I have to keep reminding myself that I'm not going to trust in riches, but in him who richly provides. Let's pray together, please. Oh, Father. <laughs> Boy, the fact that we're in this room is already testimony to how blessed we are. And so, Father, we just start by saying thank you. Thank you for blessing us far, far more than we could have ever earned or deserved. And the greatest blessing of all, we readily acknowledge, is your perfect provision in Jesus Christ. And so, Father, we come before you today, and Lord, as we begin this series. Lord, we know that the most foundational part of being rich is being rich in Christ Jesus because of a personal relationship with you. And so, Father, I just pray today, Lord, that you would just even prompt, you would draw us to yourself. For the first time, or renew and afresh, that we would find our, our joy, our hope, our security, our identity, 
and who we can be and who we are in Jesus Christ as we open up our life to Him as our forgiver, our friend, our leader, our Lord. Lord, today let that be a day of salvation. And Father, as you have blessed us well beyond that, just materially, with education, with opportunities, it goes on and on. Father, would you teach us how to be good at being rich? And all of our stories will look different, but help us to listen to adjust, to trust, not in our riches, but in the one who richly provides. I just want to invite you to sit before the Lord for just another moment or two.